Welcome everybody to Check Yourself, a podcast aimed at helping you live your best and healthiest life. I'm Leah Burkhart, a health educator at the Community Health Education Center, Check. And on today's episode, we have Sarah Daniels. Sarah is a stroke navigator at Salem Health. If you don't know what that is, neither did I, not until I got a chance to sit down with her. In essence, Sarah spends her time helping bring awareness to all things stroke. She's trying to help educate the public on how one might prevent a stroke, what to do if stroke symptoms manifest, and how to recover after one experiences a stroke. She also works behind the scenes to create systems at the hospital so that those working with stroke victims can do so more efficiently and effectively. You get the sense that Sarah is a kind of behind the scenes magic maker, an anonymous composer. Without most people's knowledge, she's working behind the curtain to ensure that the whole process behind stroke, or at least stroke care, is smooth and well lubricated. As you listen to her speak, I think it becomes apparent very quickly that Sarah is, in a word, brilliant. <laughs> she has a wealth of information stored in her mind, which I felt incredibly grateful to sit back and listen to. It's funny, while most of us know what the word stroke implies, many of us, or at least I know for myself, uh, don't actually know what a stroke is. Sarah walks us through the logistics of it and describes the different varieties of strokes. I know, there are multiple kinds. I'm a health educator, and I had no idea. And of course, how to, well, navigate it. I hope you enjoy it. I know I certainly did. And with that, presenting Sarah Daniels. have Sarah Daniels on the show today. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Uh, how about we start with you? Can you give me a little bit of background about who you are and what you do? Perfect. We'd love to. So again, I'm Sarah Daniels. I work here at Salem Hospital and I am the stroke navigator. Mm-hmm. Um, I came into this role just the very end of October, so I'm learning it in um, a new role and a new um, part of Salem Hospital. And um, what I do as the stroke navigator is I respond to stroke alert pages. Um, So if we have somebody that comes in with a new um, stroke within a certain amount of time, we alert a team response to help treat them. So if I'm on campus, I respond to that, those pages and come and help support the staff um, to make decisions and uh, provide care for the patient. And then I also provide some education to the patient if they're in a condition where they can receive it or their family during those kind of acute stages of their treatment. Wow. And okay. I also work on kind of monitoring our quality metrics um, to make sure that we're always improving our processes and providing the best care we can to our patients. That's a whole lot of things on your, on your shoulders. Quite a bit. Yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> It's fun, though. What was the evolution that got you to where, like, in this field? Did you always know this is the area you wanted to work in, or? No. um, I, going through nursing school, I always thought I wanted to work in either emergency or oncology, and those were kind of, like, my interests at the time. Mm -hmm. And then um, graduating, I was lucky enough to get a job here in our emergency room as a new grad in Salem Hospital. So I've worked here... um, Worked in the emergency department for nine years, and Mm -hmm. then um, this opportunity came about. Um, The my predecessor, uh, Jarrell, was actually in this position, and she got transferred for her husband's work. So um, this opportunity came available, and it's always been the brain's always an interesting, you know, organ or part of our body, and it's amazing how it works. So I thought that would be a great kind of new adventure and learning new things and kind of seeing how strokes evolve and the treatment and rehab that happens outside of the emergency room because that's kind of where my focus had always been. And I also wanted to move into a role of more supporting staff um, and helping with that education and making sure they had the resources in place to provide the best care they could to their patients in the community. So this Mm -hmm. opportunity came about and I jumped at it and now I'm learning a whole new style of nursing. That is, I mean, 
I, I was almost going to say that is fabulous, but that makes it sound like I'm saying strokes are awesome. So good on you for your evolution into the process. And it's great that it, it sounds like it's a role that you really thrive in. It's It's been a good, um, I've really enjoyed it and it's a good learning experience. There's a lot of new new things to work with. It's a lot different than being at the bedside and you kind of get to help develop the processes and make sure that those things are in place so that those nurses at the bedside can provide the best care. So it's yeah. definitely a different role and we're currently working on becoming a primary stroke center uh, certified with the Joint Commission. So that with that process comes a lot of new process development, new policies and education and training. Um, so we're working through that process right now to hopefully be certified in the summer. That's fabulous. Because I know, I mean, there are countless ways in which you see people on the ground who are desperately trying to facilitate the best possible outcomes for patients or customer, whatever the environment is that you're working in. In this case, it would be patients. Mm -hmm. And so often it ends up being the case that when you get right down to the nuts and bolts of it, it's the process that needed improvement. It's not that nurses don't want to do their best. It's that they weren't put in a space to be able to do their best. Exactly, yeah. They don't have the resources, the ability to uh, provide that care. They, they just can't. And so providing that kind of infrastructure and pro- process will help them to improve our patient outcomes and help the community at large. So Yeah. So... I'm going to be completely honest. I I know in theory what a stroke is, Um, (laughs) but if someone were to ask me, let's say it was an alien from outer space who never deals with stroke and says, oh, well, what's a stroke? I would be at a loss. So I have an expert now. (laughs) What is a stroke really? Like, What does it mean if I'm having a stroke? Right. So it's a disruption in the blood flow. So um, there's two different types of stroke ischemic stroke in which that is um, a lack of blood flow or something that's preventing the blood from getting to a portion of the brain. Mm -hmm. So with an ischemic stroke, you have either a blood clot or some plaque buildup or something that has moved itself through your veins and lodged itself in a smaller vein in your brain and prevented now the blood flow and then the oxygen to get past that to those cells beyond it. which leads to brain damage, damage to those brain cells and death of those brain cells with a lack of oxygen. Yeah. So there's that sort of, of stroke. And then there's also hemorrhagic stroke, which is where the vessel in the brain actually breaks and the blood leaks out into the tissue. And so that's mm-hmm. the bleeding stroke versus the clot stroke, which is ischemic. And hemorrhagic, that blood breaks out of the vessel and goes to into the brain tissue where it's not supposed to be. And that uh, causes itself, causes damage to those cells around it. One, the blood's not getting to the right place, and the blood's not supposed to be in those places, which can be caustic or um, not a good environment for those brain cells to continue to live. So you get brain death, brain cell death as well with that, as, as well as swelling and edema in the places where you don't really, can't really swell and expand because you have the skull that prevents that. Oh, yeah. I had no idea that there were two different types. Yes. And there's also TIAs, which is trans-ischemic attacks, and those are, or trans-ischemic, I can't talk, transient ischemic (laughs) attacks. Thank you. Uh (laughs) Um, And those are where you have stroke-like symptoms, but they Mm -hmm. suddenly improve or go away. And you're left with no damage, but they can be precursors to having a stroke in the, in the future. Wow. Okay. So if I'm kind of backwards engineering this. Yes. Um, okay. So let's say, let, let's start with just the, the event itself. How would I know if I might be having a stroke? Like what are the symptoms that I, in my beingness, <laughs> right. experience? So first off, our brain is amazing, but it's, there's different por- parts of our brain that are, control different functions that we can do. So there's parts that work with memory or moving your arms and legs or talking, your vision. There's different parts of your brain that control that. So it really depends on where in your brain your stroke occurs, that t- what part of the brain is affected that will tell you what kind of symptoms you have. But we do have an acronym, it's called BFAST, and that kind of helps you know the general symptoms that you would look out for. You might not have all of them, you might have a few, one or two, but those are the type of symptoms that would want you to, you would want to seek a treatment for. Mm -hmm. So BFAST stands for, the B stands for balance. So if you have a sudden onset of 
balance problems or inability to walk or stand, that would be an indication that you could be having a stroke and you'd want to be seen. Mm -hmm. And then you have E, which stands for eyes. So sudden vision changes, blurred vision, double vision, blindness, or field cuts. So if you're looking forward and all of a sudden you can't see anything to the left of you or the right and you have just, you can only see a portion of the view in front of you, Mm -hmm. those would be indications that you could be having a stroke. Mm -hmm. F stands for face and that looks at facial droop so or uneven smile so it's part of one side of your face suddenly is droopy you can't move it as well it's not moving and your smile looks uneven that would be an indication mm-hmm. um, and then we look at a which is arms and that looks at if you have sudden weakness on one side of your body so all of a sudden you can't lift your arm or your your whole arm is numb and you can't move it or it's just more weak than the other It could also go for your leg. So if one side of your body just becomes weak all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. that would be an indication. And then we are at S, which is for speech. And so suddenly if you have difficulty finding your words or you can't talk or your speech sounds slurred like you're you're drunk, um, those are kind of indications. T stands for time and that's thrown in there because to improve your symptoms or to treat them, you have to come in in a timely manner as soon as possible. And so that time is, as soon as those symptoms start, you need to call 911 and get emergent treatment. So that's actually kind of in my next line of questioning, because I, there was was a gentleman I was dating and his mom Mm -hmm. uh, had a stroke. But I always envisioned a person having a stroke almost in a cartoon-like fashion, right? like stroke floor or right. yeah. you know, something, you know, you get this dramatic sense, but she was with it. Um, she, she was functional. She was able to speak and communicate. She just felt disoriented. She had some of these symptoms, but she just thought, well, they're not bad enough. And finally it got to a point where she decided, okay, I should probably go to the hospital. But at the, by that point she was calling the urgent care line or the nurse line and they're just sort of saying, you need to get to a hospital. And P.S. don't you dare be the one driving. Right. And that's how we found out about it. He was called and now she, he's taking her to the hospital. And she, you know, everyone of course who saw her in the hospital said, why did you wait so long? <laughs> why? Like the minute you exactly. see this, on. So I just imagine there's got to be a lot of people like me out there who are sitting back going, oh yeah, stroke, I mean, it happens and then I'm incapacitated. And honestly, it's true. Is uh, Our biggest problem here in Salem is most of our patients come in too late for us to help or intervene or try to intervene and help. And mm-hmm. so we have a lot of uh, people that we see that come in um, and, you know, unfortunately, sometimes a stroke can happen when you go to bed and you and you wake up with these symptoms and we don't really know what your last when that started. And that's kind of an unfortunate timing for that. Sure. Um, and there's not really much we can improve. But if you know when it happened, um, we have some people that say, I just wanted to wait and see if it would get better or I took a nap to see if it would get better. Um, you want to come in as soon as you have any of those symptoms so that we can try to intervene and try to help you Uh um, and lessen the severity of whatever deficits you might have from from your stroke. So um, timely treatment is is essential. Um, You can just have one of those symptoms and it can be a small stroke, but it could also be the start of a stroke that could get worse. And so you don't know if just, you know, you have a little bit of a slurred speech or kind of having a hard time finding words that could evolve into a much bigger stroke as that stroke kind of evolves and, and those brain cells die off more and the lack of oxygen continues on. So yeah, it's important to come in and be seen as soon as possible. Um, we have some interventions that we can do, but they're all very timely. So we do have a medication. Um, it's like a clot-busting medication. So if you have yeah. the, the ischemic stroke or the one that causes um, a block in the blood flow, uh-huh. we can try and give that to you. Um, it doesn't work for everybody, but it's a you know, chance to kind of break that clot up and improve your symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are risks to that medication. It's a, a basically a high-intensity blood thinner, and so you have risks of increased bleeding and other things. So depending on your medical history, you might not be able to have it if you've had recent surgeries or you already take a blood thinner for another reason or right. um, you've had a bleed in your brain in the past or there's different indications, things that you have in your history that you might not be able to get it. But mm-hmm. um, 
it also can only be given to you within four and a half hours of the start of your symptoms. Why, why is there a time limit? That's interesting. Um, there's a time limit because if you give it over that time, you have a higher, in, higher risk of having an adverse effect or bleeding or a problem from the medication. Oh. So it has to be given within a, time, a certain time frame. So if you come, you know, at five hours after or six hours, that option is completely not there for us even to look at to try and help improve your symptoms or kind of re, um, restart the blood or give the blood flow to that area that's already affected so mm-hmm. yeah. wow so okay so let's say that's it's been more than four hours uh, and maybe it was for as you say it's like I don't know how long it's been I, I fell asleep I felt fine when I went to bed mm-hmm. and here I am awake right and nine hours could have been two is there another phase it's like medication isn't possible now what so there is also a procedure it's called a thrombectomy and it's like a mechanical um retrieval of the blood clot uh-huh. it's only you're only able to reach you can't reach the very small blood vessels so if we have larger vessels in our in our brain and if that blood clot is in one of the larger vessels then um, they can go in and try and retrieve it if it's been within less than 24 hours it can't we don't do over 24 hours but less than 24 hours um, but they also will do a scan to make sure the risk of the procedure, and the benefit outweighs so that the, the, you have a better benefit than the risks. Um, and that's through a, it's called a perfusion scan and they look to see um, how much of the brain has died mm-hmm. already and how much is affected, but we could, if we restored blood, regain that um, area of the brain. And that's a special CAT scan um, imaging that they do. We do not do that here at Salem Hospital. It's not at a comprehensive but if you stroke center, but if you came here, we would, ensure that you got transferred to that center if you um, met that criteria and were able to benefit from that procedure. Wow, okay. So now I'm going one step even before that. So what are the things that increase my risk for getting a stroke? Um, Right. Is it just luck of the draw or are there things that... Yes and no. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we do have some controllable and some uncontrollable or like genetic factors that predispose us to risk for stroke. So uh-huh. things that we really can't control are family history. If you have a family history of heart disease and stroke, that increases your risk that you could potentially have a stroke mm-hmm. um, yourself. So your genetics just unfortunately kind of play a role in your health and your outcomes. So that would be one we really can't change, but it's good to know that about yourself so that you make sure that you can, can change the controllable ones to kind of decrease that you're already predisposed to it. Sure. Um, if you've had a previous stroke in your past, you're more likely and at higher risk to have another stroke. Uh-huh. Um, so knowing that if you've already had a stroke, making sure that you're managing your medications and um, staying on top of your health and things so that you can try to limit the likelihood of you getting it, having another stroke is, is important. Um, another one is age. As we age, our risk increases. So you can have a stroke at any age, but the older you are, the more likely and the higher risk you are. So just age in general. Um, and then race actually has a component and it goes back to genetics, but um, people of color actually have a higher risk of stroke than than others. So, um, hmm. and it's just back to genetics and other things, but that's something that they've found out. So those and that kind of uncontrollable, just luck of the draw, what we were born with, but it's good to know so that you can try and limit the things we can control to not make it worse. So yeah, there's quite a few uh, factors, risk factors that we can control though. Um, and that starts with if you have high blood pressure. Um, we want to make sure that you're managing that, following up with your doctor, monitoring your blood pressure, and then taking your medications as prescribed. Even if you don't think they're doing anything, make sure that you're managing that blood pressure so that you're decreasing your risk of stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, and then heart disease. If you have heart disease, following your prescribed you know, doctor's orders and prescriptions um, to kind of manage that and decrease your risk as well. Mm-hmm. Atrial fibrillation, if you have a history of AFib or atrial fibrillation, and that's an abnormal heart rhythm mm-hmm. um, that can cause small, small blood clots to collect in your heart, and then the, you have a higher risk of those traveling to your brain mm-hmm. and causing a stroke. So that's managed with medications, um, if blood thinners or 
um, rate control and different things that you'd work with your doctor to manage and make sure you're taking those prescriptions as prescribed and monitoring that. Mm-hmm. Smoking is a huge uh, risk factor for strokes. So um, smoking causes narrowing of the blood vessels. It causes them to be kind of stiff and hard so they can't, um, they're, it's harder for them to dilate, get a bigger or smaller based on our blood pressure and our needs. And so you're more likely to have them kind of be rigid and hard and break mm-hmm. and kind of cause those, you know, hemorrhagic strokes That's, or those, those bleeding. About that. Yeah. Um, so quitting smoking. And if you're a long time smoker, even quitting after smoking for years can start to decrease your risk. So it's not like you're, I've been smoking for years. There's no, there's no point in quitting. It still is important that you try to quit if you're able to and, and, and uh, not smoke. High cholesterol is another one because we build up the plaque in our arteries and it narrows the area that they, the blood can flow through and can eventually kind of dam up the artery and mm-hmm. you can get a stroke that way by decreasing that blood flow. And that's that first version of the stroke you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So the hemorrhage version is probably going to be due to something like smoking. I'm it sure can be a- and it can be genetics. If you have like an aneurysm, it can be high blood pressure. You're having that high pressure on your vessels all the time that starts to weaken the walls oh. and then it can eventually weaken it so much that it kind of breaks and, and leaks out. Sort of so, like tissue paper that's being stretched right. for a long enough period of time. Yep, and or just... if you think of a balloon, like a water balloon, when you fill it up and it just kind of stretches and stretches and stretches until it finally bursts, um, you know, um. you can only only have so much pressure on your vessels. They're not meant for that, you know, for so long before you'll have a problem. So oh, that's a great analogy. Um, and then diabetes also causes um, increased risk, and that can be type 1 or type 2. So... Unfortunately, if you're diagnosed with diabetes, you have a risk even if you manage it, manage your sugar well, but it greatly increases your risk if you have unmanaged blood sugars. Uh-huh. So um, that higher sugar um, content through your bloodstream can damage the vessel walls and increase your chances of a stroke. So it was explained, like the mm-hmm. connection between, say, diabetes and heart disease and then, you know, and then stroke being right. the sort of next level up for what can happen. This is how it was described to me, and I'd love you to either give me a green light, like, yeah, that's right, or... <laughs> we'll see. Oh, okay, go for it. Poor thing. No, that's not, that's not it at all, and I'm no, going to help fine. you out. <laughs> so, as I understand it, the, um, the way it was described is it, it can start with blood sugar, and it doesn't necessarily have to start here, but frequently what happens is, uh, like, if our bloodstream has a bunch of sugar in it all the time, sugar does a few things. Uh, it's sticky. It makes our blood thicker harder to pump. Uh, it's also asking or acting a little bit like a, uh, like an exfoliant, mm-hmm. chafing against the walls. Yep. And then I was also told that it's, if I'm constantly pumping a lot of sugar through my blood, that's an inflamed state. And then the body responds to that by producing more cholesterol as a sort of fireman to tamp down on it. Right, right. Yeah. It's kind of an inflammatory response that your body has and you're constantly aggravating that system so it's constantly an overdrive kind of trying to mm-hmm. manage all that sugar that is pumping through your body so got it. decreasing that and and decreasing that inflammatory state and the amount of kind of damage that's being done to the vessel walls is mm-hmm. all beneficial to decreasing your risk for stroke heart disease and heart disease and stroke go go kind of hand in hand and um yeah there's a lot of the same risk factors and a lot of the same kind of like healthy lifestyle to help manage it so yeah so it's almost like the kinds of things then that would help reduce the risk you know again taking genetics out of it for just a moment and it's like okay whatever your genetics are the behaviors that we can engage in every day that might reduce our risk of getting a stroke one of the biggest ones, it sounds like, is just quitting smoking. That is a big one, yes, definitely. Uh, another one is keeping up with your blood pressure. So if you do have high blood pressure, it'd be, you know, taking medications your doctor mm-hmm. has prescribed. Let's say you're now, you're faced with someone who's saying to you, please, I really don't want to take medication if I can avoid it. And let's say that they're moderate risk. Mm-hmm. So they're not, right, no history of stroke, but... What kinds of behaviors would you tell them to try first? So, like, it's right. the ideal patient. It's like, I right. will take it, but I'd like to try lifestyle first. Exactly. Um, and that, you know, increasing vegetables, uh, fruits, whole grains, and kind of the, that heart-healthy 
um, meal prep and eating Mm -hmm. will help you a lot, um, decreasing kind of the fatty meals, fat meats, um, eating more lean, um, lean proteins and things like that will help. Um, Exercise, get more active, Um, you know, take the stairs instead of the elevator or um, join a gym, see what you can do. Also, you know, if you have a history of high blood pressure and other things, consult your doctor about what would be appropriate for you to do. But, you know, there's low intensity exercises like swimming and um, even just walking that can help you and benefit you from, you know, sitting on the couch. So Mm -hmm. an active, healthy lifestyle will benefit all of those, um, all the risk factors really that Mm -hmm. you kind of can control. So decreasing kind of those um, sugary processed foods that you eat and, uh, trying to get up and be more active and not live the sedentary life that a lot of us do, especially with the lockdown that's been going on. I know! Um, it hasn't helped at all, um, but uh, those type of actions can help improve your blood pressure if you want to do it without, you know, without management of medications. Some people need a medication to kind of help, but um, at least it can improve Mm-hmm. And hopefully you don't need, you know, multiple medications or things like that. But um, that can kind of help improve those risk factors. And mm-hmm. one that we didn't talk about is obesity is also a risk factor of stroke. Ah. And that's really because it's, you know, if you're obese, you have a more likely to have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, higher risk for diabetes. And so those kind of, they kind of just play in together with those risk factors we've already talked about. So Yeah, it makes sense because mm-hmm. it's like the, the behaviors are correlated. So it's like exactly. the kind of person who might have, uh, might be gaining weight may also be the kind of person who's eating more rich foods. Yeah, and it, things you like know, that. and it can go with genetics and, you know, some people can have more weight on them and not have those other factors, but they are risk factors that kind of interrelate. And yeah. so... Um, not having that, you know, stress on your body of the extra weight also helps that whole system. So interesting. Okay, because I'm also thinking about uh, like Linda Bacon's work, Health at Every Size, and some of what she's articulated is, you know, quite honestly, we you need weight can be a variable, but we really like that to be kind of bottom ringer. Yeah. Um, prefer that she emphasizes like the behaviors themselves, and it's like whatever happens to your weight, the behaviors exactly. that are associated with weight management. Mm-hmm. seems to help with risks including blood sugar heart disease and then exactly stroke. yeah it's just you know those you kind of see those correlations if you're mm-hmm. have more weight and you can be more predisposed to have those other you know high cholesterol and those other conditions that can make you more mm-hmm. likely to have heart de- disease and um, more likely to have a, re- a stroke in the future so gotcha managing that whole healthy lifestyle I know people hate hearing that. It's never, it, it's just, it's not very sexy. No, uh, no. It never, it's like, and it doesn't no, seem to You don't to get your matter. cakes and your pies and all those good things that we want. Ice cream, well, you know? and also <laughs> it's like, there's not, it, it just, it never sounds, you know, it, it's not exciting. There's no. no grand reveal. So it's no. like, but is it, if I just eat enough acai or if I just get enough... Right. Insert random supplement I heard about on yes. www.imawesome.com. Um, it's, it's like, no, really it's the same stuff. You hey, wanna... And it's not easy. It's not like you can do something and you see a result that change right away. It's like, ah, oh, how long do I have to do this before I see something? You know, I, I get that. That whole process yeah. is very kind of tedious and, um, and it's forever. Yeah, it is. It's not just like a, I can do this for three months and then I'm good. <laughs> like, no, it's just the way you have to you have to kind of go about things, but, um, yeah, it can be definitely difficult because you don't often see results right away. And Mm -hmm. especially when we're talking about, you know, decreasing cholesterol, those aren't things that you can visually see without going to your provider and, you know, having those lipid tests and cholesterol tests done. So you know what is going on inside of you. Mm -hmm. And speaking of cholesterol, so I, this, my understanding in terms of, because it's not just about cholesterol, like the total number, there's cholesterol, and then breaking that down further, there's 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 the LDL, HDL, then there's even VLDL, which is a whole nother <laughs> thing. But as I understand, if you want you want your HDL to be high, so for women, if I remember correctly, it's 50 and up, and men it's 40 and up, and then you want your LDL to be low, and the ideal sort of mm-hmm. you know primo number would be less than 100, if I remember correctly. I believe that's right off the top of my head. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not going <laughs> to quiz you, but if I wanted to get my LDL down, as I understand, you do that with diet. 
And if I want the HDL up, the fastest way is with exercise. Is that still the case? That seems like there's constantly new information. You know, I'm out. not the best expert on this, so I'm okay. not 100% sure. Um, but I know you want a, you know, a good balance between the good cholesterols and the bad cholesterols to, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you're you're doing well. But I'm not the best expert That's on how totally yeah. exactly to do it. But um, <laughs> you definitely, I know, um, taking you know, fish oils and things can help with heart health as well. Mm-hmm. And um your doctor can also help prescribe those and, and tell you kind of good levels to be at. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So you're creating, you talked about creating an infrastructure so that the person comes in and it has the best potential possible outcome. So now all has gone as well as it possibly could. A person has had a stroke, they've gotten the care they need, and now they're trying to recover. Uh, what is the prescription you are typically giving to folks post-stroke. So they're still alive and now they want to recover and decrease their risk of getting a second stroke. Right. So um, we do a combination of uh, rehab therapy. So Mm -hmm. um, working with occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech um, language therapy, depending on if your your speech is involved. Um, But uh, use a combination of that to kind of either relearn tasks or learn new ways to do things, learn to work with whatever deficit or symptoms that you still have. Um, And then we prescribe medications. So we look at your cholesterol level level and um, your um, LDL level, and we prescribe a a statin or cholesterol-reducing medication um, Mm -hmm. on discharge. And then we will, depending on, we'll monitor your heart rate while you're here to see if you have atrial fibrillation or irregular heartbeat that could increase your chances of having a stroke. So we'll look at that and then prescribe um, a blood thinner if you need to be on that and follow up for that. Um, And we will look at antiplatelets, which is like Plavix and aspirin, and um, prescribe that for your stay and at discharge. And then um, the combination of those therapies will kind of discuss what the best recovery plan is for home and working with the patient and kind of so we have different levels we can you know if you improve really well in the hospital and you're doing well you might go home and be able to manage this on your own and do follow up with your doctor or neurology as needed Mm -hmm. Um, some people go home and they have uh, home health come in and help with different activities that they still need um, kind of assistance with or they'll have um, outpatient physical therapy and occupational therapy depending on how they're doing and how well they're improving. And then um, we have some patients that stay in our inpatient rehab here for more intensive rehab if they're needing still that kind of higher level of care, but they're improving pretty well and really um, engaged in rehab. So we have that offered here at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then there's some people that um, have a poor prognosis or a lot of deficits from a stroke and they might end up in a care facility or having those additional cares um, mm-hmm. to help them if they're if they're not recovering well or they you know have kind of taken out a whole pr- paralysis or an inability to move like a whole half of your body or th- things like that that yeah. you can't really manage at home with your family so um, there's kind of a, a whole spectrum of different ways it can go depending on how much of your brain's affected yeah yeah that makes yeah. sense so do you see much of a difference? I know mean, you mentioned differences with, uh, you know, minority groups mm-hmm. and you know, re- you, different genetics that play a part there. Do you see any difference it, as it relates in, in gender? So men versus women? Um, so I actually have seen that more men have stroke. Um, and I don't have the percentage, but yes. it seems to be, um, yeah, genetics t- or um, your gender can play a role. So mm-hmm. um, men seem to have more strokes than women. And um, I think want to say it's 30 percent ish or more um but i don't have that hard fast statistic in front of me but um (laughs) (laughs) yeah men over women a little bit more we do see a lot of women that have strokes that come in Mm -hmm. um but just kind of that not sure what differences it is in our Mm -hmm. system but that just kind of predisposes you a little bit is it does it manifest different the reason i ask is i I know with heart attacks Mm -hmm. there's new data coming out that shows that women when they have heart attacks 
it often looks a little different than right. the average man. Right. Is, does, is stroke similar, or is it pretty much, if you've got a stroke, the symptoms are pretty much going to be... Yeah, it just same. really depends on the part of your brain. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll see people that come in and have a really large clot, but their symptoms are kind of minimal, and it's they happen to have we call them collaterals, but more um, smaller blood vessels that kind of, uh, I guess, overlap what area that was. So they're providing a little blood flow to the area that was affected. Mm -hmm. So they might not have as much damage. And Mm -hmm. so that really is genetically just depending on how your vessels kind of formed. Mm -hmm. If you have a little more of this, of the extra blood flow kind of that covers that area. so that can be a genetic part that just kind of depends on who you are because you'll see somebody come in and you're like, I can't believe how well they're doing based on how large the the stroke is that we're seeing. Um, and it's because they, they just have, they have a genetic, more genetically more blood flow to that area um, from their collaterals or their smaller vessels that kind of have worked around. Um, and it just really depends on what part of the brain's affected to know. So I don't really see uh, different symptoms, male to female, just depending on what part of the brain is kind of affected mm-hmm. or taken out at that point. That makes sense. You, I know you mentioned trying to create systems that are make it so that it's more streamlined and so people get the best possible outcome. Mm-hmm. What is an example... Uh, what either you personally may have seen or implemented, or maybe as you're coming into the role, you're hearing about. Um, what, it, what, what is an example of a process that when it was implemented, you got a lot of bang for your buck? It was like, oh, didn't even know this was a thing. Um, well, when thinking of stroke, we've implemented some different ways for the nurses to kind of identify a stroke faster, and then um, implemented the stroke alert process where we're alerting a kind of a team approach to take care of a stroke um, and increasing that education around it so that everyone is a little more aware of the processes and the timeliness of everything so you can see these better outcomes and improvement in the time it takes for a patient to get here to get the medications to see you can see a lot more uh, improvement in the patients um, and their outcomes so it's been nice to kind of see the whole process improve how fast we deliver that care to the patients and um, just kind of highlighting that and the importance mm-hmm. of it to the staff and the doctors and um, the whole team has kind of helped improve that whole process. That's fabulous. Yeah, it's been nice to see and witness. Yeah. when well, it's got to be rewarding for the team, too, when it feels like it's kind of the, the engine is greased well. Yes, yes, and it helps them to kind of know what to do next. When you have mm-hmm. learned it, it, you don't feel like you're kind of just out there floundering and trying to kind of figure out where to go next. You you have a process, and you you know you do one thing, and you move to the next, and it it helps you feel more comfortable in the process because it's defined out for you. Yeah. When I'm also thinking about you, because May is Stroke Awareness Month, or is it correct? Correct. correct yes. What is the biggest challenge that you've been able to see, or maybe some you and your colleagues mm-hmm. all together? Um, what's maybe the biggest challenge with getting awareness around stroke, so that someone like me who says <laughs> I actually don't know what a stroke is, right? I, I, I know what you know, theoretically it's a thing in the brain that causes disruptions, but that would have been the extent of it. Yeah. Um, what is the hardest part about getting the public more informed? Well, currently in my role, you know, I've only been in this role when we've been kind of in our pandemic oh, state. No. <laughs> so um, my biggest challenge right now is just kind of getting in front of community members or having organizations that are open to having people come in and do some education. So, mm-hmm. and that's getting, you know, better as as we start to open up and have, you know, more people vaccinated and such. So, um it's improving, but it's been difficult to kind of know, like, you know, if we have a class, can we have people even show up to do it and learning the virtual kind of world of teaching. So um, that has been my biggest challenge so far. And um, but we have a lot of fun activities coming up for stroke awareness. And um, we are going to have a um, virtual education with Center 50 Plus that will go over kind of knowing the signs and symptoms and risk factors and 
a lot of what we talked about here, but um, to them on a virtual platform to their members. And then um, here at the Check It, the Salem Hospital, we're going to do some screening with some lipid panels and um, BMI, blood pressure checks, um, and just kind of giving them some of the community members, if they come to that and sign up, some information about their own numbers so that they can take that to their doctor and kind of say, okay, this is what's coming up. How do we, how can I influence this or change this or what does this mean for me and making people more aware of what's going on inside of them. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're going to do some, a cooking course um, with yes. you guys here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and show uh, some community members who sign up for that, some heart healthy cooking ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and we are going to have a booth at our farmer's market here on campus on Mondays through May um, to do blood pressure checks and hopefully have some other kind of educational kind of fun activities that we're working on developing there. So some fun things coming for stroke awareness. And <laughs> yes. then um, we're hoping to uh, you know, become a certified stroke center here shortly with the Joint Commission as a primary stroke center. So, And what's the timeline on that, are, are you thinking? I, know, I think you, you mentioned it earlier, and I didn't catch yeah. it. Um, we applied to the Joint Commission, so let them know that we'd like to become a primary stroke center. And mm -hmm. um, our survey kind of window where they'll come out and, and look at us and see how prepared we are and if we're ready um, and kind of look at our processes um, starts August 1st and then we have kind of a three-month window from there so hopefully Ooh. sometime summer early fall we'll have an answer and then it's a you know every two years they come out and relook at the program and see how we're doing and mm -hmm. how we're improving our processes and and so it's exciting and yeah, yeah uh, a lot to do still but it's exciting yeah I'm curious do you think I want to say shame or embarrassment has, you know, what role, if any, does that play into the person who may be, like, I think I may be having a stroke. Mm -hmm. Is embarrassment or shame factoring in at all, or is it usually just confusion? Like, I, I didn't realize that that was a symptom. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've seen shame or embarrassment, um, but confusion um, and also just not, like, you know, not aware of that change. It can sometimes cause you to be a little confused or not really aware of your surroundings because it's affecting, obviously, your brain. So just not understanding what the process is and what's happening. And then a lot of um, just, you know, lack of, of understanding that, I, you know, we've had quite a few people that come in, like, on a Tuesday and say, oh, I started to have some double vision or some slurred speech or I noticed that my mom had a weak arm on Sunday and well that's several days in there's not besides you know helping with the rehabs and things um not a lot we can we can do at that moment um we can help right. with medication and kind of rehabbing and things of that nature but um I just think it's a lack of understanding that it is time sensitive and it's not something you can wait on um and also, you see after that kind of process evolves, a lot of frustration that people can start to develop because all of a sudden they can't do something that they used to be able to do, or they aren't able to communicate what they're thinking and what they want to get out because their words are just not there and they, they can't form that. And so you can get a lot of depression and frustration for post-stroke because obviously it's a sudden change and you're used to living your life a certain way and all of a sudden it's different. Um, yeah, and you don't know what part of that you'll gain back and you might and you might not and it just really depends on, on your body and how you heal and, and sometimes your brain can form different pathways or different ways to do things but everyone's a little different and so you don't know there's no way to say you'll be better you'll improve this because we just don't know it depends on on your kind of personal body and how you heal and how you recover so yeah it, it makes perfect sense and that's part of why I was yeah. asking is because you know you're putting all of these things in place and one of the primary things I think is so great about it is it does just open up the conversation more among other things I mean it's giving people their numbers <laughs> you're giving people access to you know cooking right. ideas and so on but it's also just hey, this is what this thing is. Here's how you can reduce your risk. So if it's sort of the, the full ecosystem or full cycle, right. it's if you want to reduce your risk of ever having one, it's eat lots of fruits and vegetables to keep your blood sugar balanced 
and your cholesterol lower. Move your body to keep your blood sugar lower and your blood pressure down and your heart healthy. (laughs) Get enough sleep. Yes. Manage your stress. Um, Manage your weight, which quite frankly is connected with all of those other things. things. Yeah. So then it's... A healthy lifestyle, all kind of encompassed under that that bridge of unexciting, (laughs) unexciting title. Yes. There's not a stroke app that I can just push. I know. We all all want the easy button and (laughs) I want it too. But yes, it's a... It's a lifestyle change and um, something just you need to be aware of. And especially if you're more, you know, you have a lot of the uncontrollable risk factors. If you start adding on those things you can control, you're just increasing that, you know, Mm -hmm. that you might have a stroke um, and, you know, have these, you might not, but you might have a stroke and Mm -hmm. end up with, unfortunately, some oftentimes devastating kind of deficits or changes to your lifestyle and not everyone recovers well and some people do great and some people get the medication and come timely and and it resolves and those are amazing outcomes and they're great to see but it's not always the pathway and um and it can be difficult depending on what is affected and what your deficits are on what that means for your life ahead of you so yeah well and it's kind of not ironic but on the one hand it's be really patient with yourself. Be gentle. This is going to be a lifestyle. But as soon as the symptoms come on, it's like, no, 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 no. You go right now. No patience. Exactly. Be fast. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, okay, so you came, you did the thing. Great. Now, slow down. Be gentle. Eat more food, yes. like whole foods, and get plenty of sleep. And it's like, ah. All the way on the different sides of the, of the spectrum there. Yes, definitely. But I think the take home is like, as soon as you see a symptom or you're concerned for stroke, Mm -hmm. get seek medical attention, uh, emergency medical attention. So it's not something your primary care doctor is going to be able to do. If you're having that right away, Um, you need to come to an emergency room and, you know, Mm -hmm. call 911 and try not to drive in. If you can, you don't know how it's going to evolve. So you might just get in the car and have, you know, a little difficulty finding your words, but maybe that clock moves a little bit further down and now all of a sudden you can't move an arm or you can't see and you're trying to drive or you all of a sudden can't remember where you are. So yeah. those are important things to not put yourself at more risk by having a car accident or anybody else in the community, but yeah. also helps is um, the ambulance services are able to start your you know, start getting an IV in and start communicating with us here at the hospital so you know you're coming in and we can be prepared and have, you know, the bed ready and our CT scanner ready for you when you come in and try and improve the time we get you that treatment, so. Yeah, and this is this is heartbreaking. I, as, I worked as a corporate health and wellness coach at mm-hmm. one point, and you hear from all you know, folks from all over the country because it's telephonic. And one person called, not for coaching, but for the advocacy services, because there mm-hmm. was a number of other services provided. And there was a woman calling on behalf of her husband. And she said, I think my husband may be showing signs of a stroke. I'm calling to see if my insurance will cover an ambulance mm-hmm. or if I should just drive him or I, I just want to make sure I do this right. And of course, the person who's on the other end of the phone is like, you, you can't buy yourself a new husband. Like, I don't care right, what it costs, get it. Right. But if you're dealing with someone who's on a limited income, it makes sense that maybe they would be afraid. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice or, or like, are there resources for folks who may want to be fast? Right. No, I, I get that hesitation and that uh, worry that people have. Um, but on the same token, you know, we might be able to treat them if they come in fast or we might be looking at an even larger bill of needing like a long-term care or a facility in the end that's going to have to, you know, help in the long-term care. Mm -hmm. But also, and I am not an expert at all on the insurances or how the finances work of the hospital, but we do have care management and we do have um, different uh, services that can help with kind of identifying, um, funds in the community or different resources uh, through the government and things like that or Mm -hmm. charity care and things. Um, So there are resources that can be offered um, as needed. It just kind of depends on your situation. But also, you know, if you're that, if you're having those symptoms, the the risk of, you know, death and or long-term impairment where you're going to need to pay 
mm. for you know long-term care and services is you know it's hard to outweigh that in that time and just kind of know but um yeah and that's good to hear because I think for and it might sound silly to some of us yeah. but I think it's a real concern and it's it, it might help validate those who would otherwise be reluctant right. to call to sort of say no even if you're concerned about your finances because you also want to be able to eat mm-hmm. on a daily basis right afford that of course uh, you're you might also be saving yourself a considerable amount of financial reserves yeah. if you, the sooner you go the less invasive the intervention could be yes definitely and most insurances if you ha- are covered by insurance mm-hmm. if it's a true medical emergency cover those kind of right. you know or portions of it or whatnot but um I think you run the risk of when, you know, if you call the ambulance for a non-true emergency where you kind of have that kind of does my, will my insurance cover this or not if they don't deem it an emergency, but having a stroke is an emergency and you definitely want to be seen (laughs) as soon as possible. So, yeah. And it's so helpful too, to have you come on and explain what the symptoms are. Cause again, I, I could see myself if I were in the midst of having like some of those symptoms, I could see myself thinking, Oh you know, maybe I just didn't get enough sleep last night and I'm just a little... Foggy. I get it. We all, you know, we always kind of second guess ourselves and whatnot, but like, these oh, symptoms tough. you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to second guess this and <laughs> <laughs> and end up uh, guessing wrong. Yes. So then, you know, in terms of a wrap up, like let's say that you're sitting, I, I it's a little redundant at this point like elevator speech but let's say you're on the bus with someone and that you've only got a few minutes with a person and it's like if you had to give them the biggest nugget one or two or three things that it's like if you were only walking away with this this would be the takeaway I'd want you to have what would you say okay well I would say um that if you think you're having a stroke or you have symptoms of a stroke and that's um think of your BFAS so um balance eyes face, arm, speech, and then time. Mm -hmm. So if you have changes that would cause you to think you're having a stroke, you're off balance, your speech is slurred, you have a change in your vision, double vision, uh, field cut, um, blindness, your arm or one side of your body suddenly goes weak, you have a facial droop, your speech is slurred, or you're unable to find your words, come into the emergency room as soon as possible, call 911, um, and, you know, get emergent help so that we can try to intervene and improve your symptoms as best as possible. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming in here because this is super helpful just for me personally. <laughs> so I'm selfish. It's like I hope this helps other people, but I'm going to be honest. I'm selfishly very happy to have this in my yeah, back pocket just I appreciate myself. it. Thank you so much for the opportunity and uh, to sit down and talk about this and kind of hopefully get a little more people aware of stroke and the risks that are out there and how to kind of minimize that as best as possible and come and seek treatment when you can. Absolutely. And thank you for all the work you do. We are so lucky to have you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks.